Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the role of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you enjoy this show, please tell a friend or colleague about it and help spread the word. If you want to also search for other episodes or learn about some of the other resources that are available to you, head over to theconsumervc.com. Thank you, Elizabeth Edwards, for introducing me to today's guest, Lee Radford, the Senior Vice President, Founder and general manager of PNG Ventures. PNG Ventures is an internal Procter & Gamble studio partnering with startups, entrepreneurs, and inventors to build brands and businesses within the consumer packaged goods space. We discuss what is corporate venture capital, how PNG partners with brands, and the advantages for aspiring brands. Without further ado, here's Lee. Lee, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Hey, Mike. I'm good. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. So let's start at the very beginning. What was your initial attraction to consumer products? Well, uh, my father is a, a retiree at Procter & Gamble, so I would say it's been in my life from, from day one. You know, I just love the fact of tangibility of products that consumers use every day and seeing them in your home. And you know, it just uh, kind of brought me into this industry. That's awesome. That's awesome. And what I guess attracted you, obviously, your father worked at at, at P&G, but, but I would love to just hear a bit more about your journey of what led you to eventually working at, at, at Procter & Gamble as well. Yeah, sure. Well, I actually started in the airline industry. So I uh, did that right out of college and uh, I absolutely loved it. I love the global part of that business. Uh, and then went back to business school and uh, decided at that time I wanted to combine the, the global part of, you know, business with uh, creating new products and join P&G. So uh, I've always loved big, you know, huge companies with big businesses and looking at how brands are expanded around the world. And P&G was uh, kind of the calling that, that met that criteria. Love it. When it comes to building brands, obviously P&G is one of the world's best at doing so. What were some of your learnings of brand building at P&G? You know, there's been a lot of learnings. Um, I think the most important though is really putting consumer at the center and really understanding the problem you're looking to solve. Because a great brand is one that consumers fall in love with and they can't live without. And, you know, they go through withdrawal. For some reason, they can't find it on the shelf at their local, you know, Target or Walmart or CVS. You know, um, I love creating brands that are, are in demand and in love with consumers, but those brands are the ones that solve big problems on everyday problems. And that's, uh, that's uh, what I feel has always been the magic. When you get that right, you know, you, know, you have a brand that's going to last not only a decade, but hopefully, you know, multiple decades as uh, a lot of our brands within our company have. Totally, totally. So walk us through a little bit of how you maybe analyze, you know, some of the pain points or like a, a pain point when you're thinking about launching a new brand or analyzing a new brand um, and seeing how big of the opportunity it could be. Yeah, I'm a firm believer of understanding where the pucks are going uh, in the, the broader trends that are out there today you know, how consumers are shopping, what are they shopping for, what problems they're looking to solve uh, in a broad set, you know, within their family, within their life, within their work, and really understanding where that's going. And that has gener you know, generational impact, um, and it has cross-generation impact. So, you know, just really understanding, you know, where that puck is going and seeing where the needs are. 
So when you see those things collide, you, you see consumers uh, have compensating behaviors because there's not something out there that solves a need today. And when you see those compensating behaviors, that's normally a good insight that, you know, there's something that can be solved and probably a more consumer preferred or delightful, ma delightful manner. Absolutely. I'd love to, I'd love to hear more as well um, about P&G Ventures and for, for folks that just aren't, that may not be familiar with it. Yeah. So P&G Ventures is a startup studio within P&G. So we're, we're a bit unusual, not a traditional venture firm. When, when you hear that, we are truly a startup studio. So um, our mission is to create the next billion dollar brand for the company. And we do that by you know, partnering with entrepreneurs, uh, both inside and outside the company, uh, to find new solutions to new problems. So there's not one model that we follow. We look at different type of models. Um, I think we're up to 12 or 13 with different entrepreneurs that allow us to you know, really ask the entrepreneur first what problem they're trying to solve for their business and can P&G help them. So uh, yeah, and, and kind of how I got into this role, you know, I was running big global businesses you know, for most of my time at P&G, but every business I was on, I was always creating new businesses. So I ran the, you know, the NyQuil, DayQuil, VIX franchise for you know, almost half, well, five years. And, and with that, we created ZQuil. And I, I ran Global Lay and we created Regenerist and Total Effects. And so I love creating new businesses where there's a niche opportunity. And so you know, that all came together and uh, that's really how Ventures started. I was asked to, to create new businesses on an even bigger scale for the company and in new categories where we don't compete today. So we don't look for the next hair care business or the next skincare business. We really look for new disruptive, new categories that P&G and maybe others don't don't play in today. So how do you analyze opportunities for, I guess, uh, new categories? Is it typically the entrepreneur that uh, brings you maybe the insight into a category that could be developing? Or is it more on the macro sense of, of you follow certain themes and then you want to position yourself in certain themes, or, or I'd, I'd love just to kind of break that down. Yeah, well, we start with our thesis. You know, what do, what are we looking for? So, you know, we do a lot of work from a consumer understanding standpoint to the point of where the puck is going and what are the global consumers looking for today or, you know, what are the needs we're trying to solve? So we start there and then we're really clear and going out and saying we're looking for entrepreneurs, inventors uh, to help us figure out how to solve some of these big global problems. But so having a clear thesis is really our point one, uh, knowing what we're looking for and then finding entrepreneurs that can help us solve it in unique and different ways. So when you're when an entrepreneur comes to you, what what do they currently have to have? Like do they already have to have a product? Is that or is it or is it on like the is it, or is it could could it still be in the ideation stage or they can come at any stage. I mean, we've had entrepreneurs come in with finished products that they're already selling. We've had entrepreneurs or more inventors who are inventing something in their garage, but they don't know necessarily how to get it done. Um, and you know, we have you know anything you know between there and here. So uh, we really start with, and sometimes it's even ideas. Ideas are kind of hard because. You know, we normally will ask them and give them some counseling idea, especially if it's a space that we're looking for, and then have them come back when maybe they're, you know, it's a little bit more thought through. Um, but overall, the sweet spot is that they have a working prototype, you know, something that they believe is solving a big consumer pain. 
And that's really what we can uniquely bring to them, help them solve that. We've had entrepreneurs come where they had an amazing idea, but they did not know the regulatory path of how to even think about getting it done or the supply chain of how do we actually even go from A to B or the marketing element. And so what I love is I am a firm believer that the next big business out of P&G will be a combination of an inventor, entrepreneur, and P&G coming together because we can supplement what they don't necessarily have with something we have a lot of experience in. Since you've been on kind of both sides of the table, you've you've led um, major brands at P&G and also you're working with, with, with entrepreneurs. I'd love to know what are some of the advantages that aspiring brands have um, in order for, for being disruptive? I think the biggest you know, challenge or inspiring brands that we see is they find a crack. They find a crack where big brands are not solving them today. And that could be in a model, a business model, a service model, it could be a price point, and it could be a unique benefit or a secondary benefit, but they found something that, you know, potentially bigger brands were overlooking or it hadn't been created yet. And uh, those are the ones I, I absolutely love. And then they're nimble and they're agile to go try to figure that out. And, uh, you know, they're very clear with what that problem is and they just continue to, to get themselves into that crack and, and blow it up because, you know, the need is there. Uh, so I think that, you know, the advice I always give to entrepreneurs and when you're really, really clear with a problem you're trying to solve and you have a unique and ownable way of solving it, you have a pretty good business model for success. No, totally, totally. And I'd love to dig in more as well about, you know, analyzing maybe online brands too. Um, and maybe what are there, what are some of the attributes that they might need to have in order to work in retail? Yeah. Um, first of all, they, that they, you know, they need to have a firm positioning of what they stand for. And, you know, part of the challenge of going from direct to consumer to retail is it's a, it's a, it's a cluttered environment. Yeah. It's cluttered definitely, definitely on, you know, e-commerce and direct to consumer, but on shelf, I mean, you have limited shelf space. You need to be able to, be very clear on what problem you're solving and what category you're creating. And you also have to be able to withstand private label and pricing and other dynamics that, you know, you have a lot more control in a direct-to-consumer environment. You know, I always uh, focus on sustainable superiority in a way that when you go on shelf, you lose sometimes some of your control of your brand. You know, competitive pricing or a store brand popping up right next to you at half the price. You need to ensure that what you have has a long-term sustainable way to win. Otherwise, it won't last very long. And so, you know, we focus a lot on irresistible superiority. And that goes across all elements of marketing and product. Everything from packaging superiority, product superiority, and you know, even business model superiority. When I, I remember talking to a brand strategist about how one of the things that, that, that could sometimes be overlooked for online brands is uh, the importance of packaging when it, if you actually go into retail and how you might have very maybe simple packaging online, but it doesn't really, it wouldn't stand out on, on the shelf. So um, have you ever had to experience maybe doing like a redesign or, or maybe you really like the product, you like the idea, but you know that there would have to be some like a transition for the brand or, or repackaging in order for 
the brand to actually get into retail? Yes. I mean, we look at that all the time because a different than direct to consumer, they created an amazing lifestyle brand that surrounds their brands. And sometimes their brand is secondary to the, the broader, you know, lifestyle that they're looking to create. Uh, and so in, on the shelf, the brand has to stand by itself and alone and packaging is critical to allow that to happen. You know, what I like to look for is core assets. You know, branding, the brand name. Is it transparent? Is it short? Is it you know, a way that you can literally transfer that into a shelf setting? You know, the lineup, the lineup has to be very, very strong. You can't have a trail of, of small basket builders because, you know, shelf space is expensive and you need to make sure you have the rotation and the turns needed to, to stay on shelf. So you have to think about what are your power SKUs, what are your hero SKUs, and then, you know, ensure that your packaging is delivering that transparency in context of the competition. Because that's the other big issue on direct-to-consumer brands. A lot of time your competition is sitting right, not sitting right next to you. So uh, what are your claims? What is going to you know, make your brand stand apart uh, versus other ones that are right next to you with a consumer, um, you know, for, with a forced selection? Walk, walk me through a little bit of your due diligence process when you're analyzing brands. Are there particular, since Startup Studio, you're pretty early stage, are there particular metrics or still uh, maybe uh, maybe um, it's um, organic customers that you think, okay, that there, there might be something there? How interested people are in a brand or, or does a brand not have to have much metrics in order to to pique your interest? Well, you do want the metrics. I mean, you want to make sure that they're going against a big enough consumer segment, you know, because we're, especially with a company like P&G, we're looking to, to create, you know, big global brands. So that consumer segment needs to be very, very clear and identified. And they need to show that they're, they're you know, creating the right choice for those consumers and, and demand. So product concept fit, you know, what is the concept to the consumer who you're looking to target? And does the product exceed those expectations to ensure that that consumer continues to come back with a strong repeat? So what are some of the advantages for an aspiring brand to partner? And I believe you covered a little a, a bit of this as well, but uh, uh, for an aspiring brand to partner with uh, a, you know, a P&G or a corporate venture capital arm versus a normal venture capital firm? Yeah, I think that there's, uh, it all depends what problem they're, they're trying to solve. I keep going back to that. But even with the, the, the end, you know, entrepreneur, you know, um, what we uniquely provide or uh, from a P&G standpoint, because we're not traditional, is ability um, of 180 years of experience in solving the problems that they will eventually need to solve. And if it's regulatory, if it's supply chain, if it's marketing and branding, if it's retail, go to market, uh, uh, you know, credentialing, those type of things are uniquely, you know, ripe for what PNG and PNG Ventures can bring to the party. So that's what makes us different. Uh, we believe we're a fast accelerator and taking the best of their amazing idea. Now, what they bring to the party is amazing agility, passion and focus, 100% focus on, you know, solving their problems for the brand they're creating and the consumers they're serving. So, uh, you know, that's what makes us different. I mean, the other one is we, we tend not to take just, you know, we tend to do partnerships. Like I said, we have 12 to 13 different models that we've already tested, but it, this, we take a real hands-on approach 
And it's a different model than what is out there today, uh, which we find to be working really well for both you know, P&G and the entrepreneur. The one other thing I always tell entrepreneurs that may come and you know, share some of their thoughts is we, you know, we will always do some testing if it's an area that we're interested in. And if it ends up we do not go forward, we share that testing back. We always want to make sure the entrepreneurs get something in return. So I always like to say anyone who works with us will leave working with us feeling um, better or being better off than if they hadn't, even if we decide not to go forward. So it's a give back. And that's one thing that's just amazing about the entrepreneur community is the generosity among startups and entrepreneurs is amazing. And you know, we, we want to make sure we're, we're doing that as well. And it's just very much in our culture to do so as well. No, I, I absolutely love that. And that's, and that's really terrific that you're able to, that you actually provide um, when you do do tests, all of the information back. What are some of the characteristic, characteristics that you like to see in an entrepreneur that, that might make you intrigued or, or is, or is helpful? I think it's both the entrepreneur and the product. It's uh, you know, we want to see, you know, consumer love, a, a big enough market with a big enough problem with a great solution that is, you know, uniquely ownable. You know, one that, you know, we, we love to protect our investments. You know, we love IP, we love patents, we love things that will protect ours when we have to go to shelf, that when that private label comes next to you, you have something to stand on. And so we are really looking at superiority that matters and is transparent to the consumer. When you're when you're thinking about big markets, one this this notion of TAM and how TAM might not actually be the best way to or thinking about just market sizing in general might not be the best way to think about um, an opportunity just because usually the usually the most compelling ideas are in developing markets. Um, and not markets that are already there. How do you think about like market sizing when you're thinking about these new opportunities? Um, we look at it across, you know, the tap town some, and you know, because uh, our our thesis very clearly within PG Ventures is to create new categories um, that a lot of times don't exist. So it doesn't matter if it's a developing market or a developed market. If you find where those those unique opportunities are. You know, you try to find the biggest problem that is underserved or they're looking at alternatives or compromising in different ways to get that job done. Uh, so it, I, I don't think it's a geographic issue. I think it's more of, you know, what are those, those new, uh, you know, problems that consumers are solving that, you know, aren't effectively being solved today. Totally, totally. And do you, I, I would love to hear about maybe some of the trends that you're right now very focused on. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, our, they really come out of our thesis. I mean, a couple of the areas that aren't surprising. I mean, these are a lot obvious is aging consumers. You know, we know consumers want to stay in their home as long as possible. And really most of the industry right now is focused on an institutional and there's really not a lot of solutions for at home care and consumer products to enable these, these consumers to stay in their home longer and for their caregivers that treat them. Uh, the area of health is another big area, women's health and men's health, you know, and even the rise of telehealth. I mean, this is one where, you know, consumers are taking more control of what their health is. They have more data to help their analyze it. They're thinking of it more holistically between not only, you know, physical health, but mental health. And, you know, so that is a growing, growing area that, you know, is still, you know, looking to be tapped. 
non-toxic homes. I mean, we have been, you know, there's the, the role of sustainability and, you know, safer alternatives for in-home um, is a big area. I mean, being probably more pronounced because of all of us being in our homes even more so. And uh, they're more conscious of what they bring into their home and how they, they don't want to solve one problem and bring in another. And, you know, the big trade-off right now is there's a lot of great products out there, but unfortunately, they don't necessarily work as well. So there's big trade-offs. <laughs> and, you know, people want the natural, they want the sustainability, but there's trade-offs of what they're getting in efficacy. And, you know, one thing we, we love is, is to find ways to, you know, solve that trade-off for the consumer. So those are a few. I love that. And I completely agree with you on the on the trade-off part. What's one thing that you would change when it came to venture capital? I think it's what I'm trying to do. Um, new models. You know, really new models that allow entrepreneurs to really focus on, you know, how they want to take their business and how they want to run their business and how they're looking at investors in their business. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunities to find new ways of creating new businesses. And VCs are a great way. And I think the studios are another great way. And I think there'll be more to follow of just giving more choices of how we get great ideas to the market. I, I really do love that. Just thinking about, about new different new different models or, or new different ideas in order to fund and also create these these compelling brands. Um, that's that's fantastic. What's What's the best piece of advice that you've received? You know, the best advice that always has carried me, you know, well in my career is, is follow your passion. You know, um, I tend to be one that combines creativity with business and uh, I solve business problems in creative ways. And, and that's been my, my mainstay. And I think that's why I kind of ended up in the, the job that I, that I did. I think individuals, when you know what your passion and know what you're really good at, go at it 100%. And I see that with entrepreneurs as well. Passion drives a lot. I mean, it's, it, you can't replace strong passion, you know, with uh, ability to get something done uh, because it's endless energy uh, focused in a very clear direction. So that's that's always my my big tip. I love that, especially that notion of passion drives a lot. When you're when you're analyzing. Uh, companies and and talking with entrepreneurs, how do you measure passion? You, you see it. I mean, it's it's one that you just see. <laughs> you know, you see it in everything they do and the quality of what they do and how the depth of their knowledge of what they're trying to do. You know, they go deep. They don't leave, you know, questions unturned. Um, they want critique because they want to get better. Uh, that's what passion is, where they never get defensive. It's more of like, help me, help me make this better. You know, I'm committed to see this, see this through no matter what. Um, so that's really, that's really where you see it. It, it comes through in the, the, the focus and the dedication and uh, just a clear line of sight with what they want to get done. That's really helpful. My final question for you is what's, what's one piece of advice that you have for founders that are currently building? Keep building. <laughs> Keep building in our spaces. How about that? You know, you know, check out our thesis and see how you can help us, you know, create some big, pro you know, solve some big problems for the world's consumers. That's what I would say. Um, but really, um, I mean, entrepreneurs, you know, you know, are kind of the engine of, of our society, right? You know, they will see things that other people don't. And, uh, 
you know, it has just been such a gift in my career, you know, to be able to, to come into this world and help entrepreneurs uh, and hopefully help them on the process of creating great things. So just keep disrupting, you know, keep inventing, keep, uh, keep your ear down to what's happening in the world and solving problems that, you know, haven't been solved today. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, Lee, thank you so much for your time. This has been so much fun. Hey, Mike, thank you very much. It has been fun in return, so I appreciate it. It's an area of my passion, so it's great to talk about it. And there you have it. It was such a pleasure chatting with Lee. You're also welcome to follow me on Twitter at Mike Gelb. For all episodes, please visit theconsumervc.com. Thanks again for listening, folks. Thank you.